The heart of this book is in chapter 2, beginning in verse 14, where he talks about the faith that's verbalized but not validated and actualized by life. Hey, uh, can that faith save you? If you say you have faith, show me your works. It's not works that saves you. It's works that validate real faith because you can say it and not have it. You can make a claim, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christ follower, I'm a believer, and in fact, not be any of those things because even the demons in hell believe and they're clearly not saved. So James is writing a book to say, this is the, the faith that saves when it's lived out. This is the convictions. These are, rather, the convictions and the lifestyle of a true Christian. And he adds in chapter 2, which we'll get to some months from now, that when you practice your faith, it matures your faith. So wherever you are in the faith, If you want to advance, faith works with your works and matures your faith. So James, the book of James, 16 sections, 108 verses, James saying this is real Christianity. I don't know what you grew up with. I don't know what you read. I don't know where you got exposed to Christianity. But if you want it to be real, this in part is what it looks like real Christianity, the lifestyle and convictions of a biblical Christian. We're in the second section, beginning with verse 19 of chapter 1. And what we have learned so far, and we began this consideration last week, is real Christians not only deal with difficulty differently, real Christians proactively or aggressively Seek to hear the truth and diligently apply the truth. Real Christians want to get it, hear it, and they want to live it. Not just be enthusiastic learners of it. Not just diligent note takers. Come to church every week, got my note, my journal, my Bible journal out. I'm writing as fast as I can. I go to the main service. I'm writing more notes. That's great. And what you write you have a higher probability of remembering. But the goal is not just learning it. What is the goal of God? Doing it. And that's what this little section is about. So my big idea at the beginning of this section is changed by the word of truth and changing by the word of truth. And we get that because verse 18 of the previous section says, in the exercise of his will, a reference to God, exercise of his will, meaning he ordained it, sovereignly chose it. He said, I want it. Because of that, he brought us forth. That's a born again concept by the word of truth. So you're changed by the word of truth. And the goal of God rehearsed there is so that you'll be a kind of first fruit, a worship offering among all of his creatures. Verse 19, this you know. What do I know? I know that the word of truth has changed me. And because I know that, any logical, biblically thinking person would do what is called to be done 
which follows. This you know, because you know that the word of truth has changed you, because you know the word of truth is designed to make you a kind of worship, worship offering to God, a first fruit. Verse 19, this you know, my beloved brethren. And here's the way I'd like you to hear that. Because I love you. Sometimes as a parent, you say to your children, because I love you. That's why I'm telling you this. I'm not mad at you. I don't want to ruin your life. My, your mother, my wife, worked hard to bring you into this life. Our goal is your best interest. It's that flavor. Because I love you, verse 19. Because I love you, brothers and sisters, brethren born of the same womb, let everyone, you see that? No exceptions, no exclusions. Everybody changed by the word of truth is to do this. Three imperatives. Verse 19, let everyone be quick to hear. The be is a present active imperative, not optional. You must do this. If you get this, you must do this. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. What's the goal of God? So that you'll look like God. You'll be righteous like the Son of God is righteous. You'll live it, not just say it. So be slow to anger because anger is an obstacle, a barrier. It makes it impossible to achieve the righteousness of God. What are you supposed to be quick at hearing? And we focused on this last week. Our big emphasis was on the word quick. Be quick to hear. Hear what? Contextually, the word of truth. Not just somebody that you're around, not just paying attention to the conversation. Contextually, this is be quick to hear. And we emphasize the word quick. Remember that? So quick. And I had you write, some of you have your verses written out on the card. You circle the word quick, and you should have written beside it. Do it immediately. And when you do it, do it actively, fast, zealously would be a good way to say. It's like the, you're five deep in the line at Costco, and the, you see a cashier go to the empty register. What do you do? You're quick, right? You're out of line in sixth, and you're now first in line. And when you see the opening, you start to move, but if you want to be first, you have to do what? Move fast. Okay, that's the idea of quick. When the word of God, through God's people, by his inspired truth, is available to you, the door opens, the register is available, you move. You move fast because you understand that the goal of God is achieved through the word of God. You're not lax. You're not careless. You're, you're proactive. You're aggressive. Everywhere the word of God is available to you, the opportunity, if you get it, you're going for it. Does that make sense? All right, so that's where we were last week. Today, I want to focus on the word slow, slow to speak. I touched on it. The word slow is slower pace than normal. Slow to do what? Speak. Contextually, why would I be slow to speak? Because I need to be listening so that I can be learning because you don't instantly understand the word of God, the people of God, the spirit of God. It takes time to marinate. Don't be so fast to talk. You can't learn while you're talking. 
You learn while you're listening. And the word slow, biblically, exegetically, means to deliberate, to pause and think before you talk. Just like you pause and think before you react in anger or gay, bubble over, get frustrated, get annoyed, get perturbed. You think about it before you do it. You don't respond in anger. Why? Because anger will kill your growth. Nobody angry grows. You defeat the purpose because anger, here's an axiomatic statement, not only destroys, anger prevents maturity. If you're prone to anger, you've got to defeat that. You've got to focus on that. It's not only unspiritual, it's impractical. You can't grow. So you have to be slow. You have to deliberately think. I was at the, the Sam Center yesterday in Santa Clarita with my wife. We had picked some things up at Sam's and Walmart, and, and I was pulling out on the backside to go back home, the backside of that shopping center. There's a health club there and another stop sign. There's a pretty good dip on the way out of that onto the main drag before you turn onto, um, I think it's Newhall Ranch. And so I had an opening and went slowly through the dip. And the guy who came across the intersection, not only came across the intersection, but he decided he was going to accelerate. And he hit the gas. Thankfully, Karen didn't see it because she would have just gone out of her normal state of patience and tranquility. (laughs) So she saw nothing, but I saw him, and he was coming hard. There's no way he was going to hit me, even at my slow pace. But you know what he did? He got on the horn. He flashed his lights. He totally disrespected me. Do you know what I did? What you might do. No, I shouldn't throw you under my bus. I just had this energy come up. You know what I wanted to do? I wanted to turn around, follow him, and tell him that was totally unacceptable. But something happened to prevent that bad choice. Slow to anger means a thought about it. So what good outcomes can come from that? Have you ever seen that turn out good? Oh, hey, man, I'm really sorry. I shouldn't have got on the horn. Anybody had that experience? I've never had that experience. (laughs) So a little bit of slow thinking or thinking, slowing the path and the energy when violated. And listen, this can happen when you're a Christian. People who know the truth that you need to hear say it and you react to it. Or God does it. You don't like what he's doing because he's sovereignly ruling over everything. So you have to stop and think and assess. That's this word. Slow down. If you want a synonym, it's meditate. It's deliberate. It's think about it. Before you talk, before you react, having been rapid and immediate in your pursuit of the truth that'll change you, even in the midst of difficulty or temptation, you need to meditate. You need to just stop, listen, learn, and think. You know what Christians need to be? Deliberate thinkers. 
so they can ponder and meditate and benefit from the truth they're receiving, especially if that truth is coming in a difficult season. Because the previous section was all about difficulty, whether it's inward difficulty, temptation, outward difficulty, trial, right? So I want to talk today about slow. I want to talk about how to facilitate the Word of God informing your heart and mind so that you can grow and become what you've been saved to be. Today, I want to talk about, and this is kind of a little parenthetical, I want you to turn with me back to Psalm 1, and I want to give you a seven-step process to benefit from what you hear, whether it's the Word of God, the people of God, or the Spirit of God, how to extract the most good from it, to the end that you become changed by it because it's quick to hear, and it's slow to react, slow to respond, slow to talk, so that you have time to meditate. That's what we're doing today, and we'll come back to this paragraph in James next week to do a little more work. So turn with me over to Psalm 1, familiar real estate, but I want to punctuate some things that hopefully will be helpful to you, and your 3 by 5 card is your worksheet today. So if you're From last week, you've got a verse written down, use that verse. If you're new to us this week, I want you to write down verse 2 and verse 3. Verses 2 and 3. There's a lot of words, so you give yourself space. Verses 2 and 3. So what we're doing, it was talking about meditating, deliberating, letting the Word of God unleash its unrivaled capacity to transform you from who you are to who God wants you to be. This is unleashing the Scriptures so that the sanctify... Remember Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, sanctify them with your truth, your Word is truth. Sanctify is to transform, make holy, set them apart, make them like you are. That's the goal of God. How's God going to do that? Through the inspired Word of God. That's what this psalm, which is at the beginning of the Psalter, is meant to say the Word of God is foundational to the worship and the transformation desired by God. So we're going to look at Psalm 1, and I want to highlight some things, because housed in this, and then I'm going to give you a process, and hopefully you're still writing those words, get them all down, verses 2 and 3, because the Word of God is the means to bombastic blessing. The Bible brings big benefits. The Bible is living and active. What I have in my possession is a treasure more precious than gold, yea, than much fine gold, which means super refined gold. This is my most valuable possession, Psalm 19. This is sweeter than honey and the honeycomb, Psalm 19. It's my most delightful pleasure, not just my most valuable possession. It's my most enjoyable pleasure the Bible. All right, now follow with me, and I'm going to highlight some key things so you can learn. So what we're going to do is we're going to work through a process based on this promise of how to apply the Scriptures 
so that you become changed or optimized in terms of changing by the word of God. So let's jump in. Psalm 1, I'll give you seven steps today to deploy throughout the day. All right, notice the words, how blessed. That's a way, it's a Hebrew statement that's emphatic, big blessing. How blessed is that guy? How blessed is the man, first the negative, who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. So verse 1 says there's blessing by not doing some things, not getting your chief influence from the opinions of men, even particularly wicked men or ungodly men. The word wicked is restless, somebody who's just constantly searching. You could word searching for satisfaction. They're wicked because they're hungry and they're seeking gratification and they're doing it on their own terms. That's the idea of wicked. And the person who walks with them is you companion with them and you're influenced by them. Secondly, you have the idea of a sinner. That's just a lawbreaker. You are standing with them. So you go from a, an associate to now a member, a participant in the group. And then it goes on, and that's sitting, standing with them, rather. And then sitting has the idea of you become one of them, and you're sitting with the scoffers. So you're not just being influenced by restless fleshly behavior. You're standing now as a companion with the lawbreakers, the sinners, the sinner, someone who breaks the law of God or the will of God. So I go from being with them to hanging with them to becoming one of them. I'm sitting with the scoffer. The scoffer is somebody who mocks the truth. They roll their eyes. And you see plenty of that in our culture. You see people who are ambassadors of evil. It's the Romans, one thing. They not only do those things, they become hearty approvers of those who do them. So Psalm 1 says, you want to be blessed? You don't companion with those kind of folks. You avoid the restless sin seeker, you avoid the, rest, or the active sin doer, and you invo- avoid the person who is a out of control or a obvious person who is an evil promoter. So you see a progression here. Walk with the wicked, stand with the sinner, sit with the scoffers. You go from listening to sharing to promoting. That guy, that gal, not going to be blessed. You're never going to go, blessed life. He that walketh with the wise will be what? You say it? Wise. Companion of fools, people who live like this, what? Destroyed. Unhealthy. Verse 2, but. See the adversative, but. On the other hand, so he moves from the opinions of worldly men. This is the defining issue. The divine declaration is you can be blessed. The defining issue is the word influence. Where do you get your chief influence? The ungodly, the sinner, or the scoffer, verse 2, or the prescription and direction of a holy God, verse 2. But his delight, see the word delight? You should circle that one. The word delight means you find pleasure in it. You get excited about it. A dozen Krispy Kremes comes rolling into your life. Okay, it's big smile time. 
It's, ooh, I like this. Good call. Thanks for bringing that, Nate. It's that feeling of joy and delight. His delight, not in a foodstuff, but rather a soul food, verse 2. His delight is in the law. Do you see the word law? If you have your card, you should circle the word law. What you're doing on your card is circling key words. You want to circle the key words of the verse. Now listen, all Scripture is inspired. You want to focus on the key words for the sake of a day of focus and meditation, slow to speak time. So key words, law. What's law means? The Torah of God. The law is not an option. The law is a prescription. Whose prescription is it? The law of God. It's not a suggestion. It's a authoritative mandate. It's not an hypothesis. That's tougher to say than it would seem. It's not something that may be true. It is a prescriptive reality. The Bible is the law, like gravity. You can go out here in this little stairway and say, I'm going to fly today. Will you fly? You will not fly. Why? There's a law in effect today. It's called the law of gravity. But you don't believe in the law of gravity. Really doesn't matter. You're not flying today. Some of us live life like God hasn't prescribed his will in his way. We're doing it on our own terms. We're living in according to our own perspective. Do you know how difficult it is to secure the perspective of God on your own? Your perspective and mine is so limited. I only know what men know, and not even all that men know. My life experience, the breadth of my understanding. I get asked questions all the time, and I go, I should know this by now. But I'm limited. But God has seen fit in his inspired word to reveal what you need to know about everything that matters. We have a statement. The Bible is sufficient. It's sufficient because everything you need to know that matters is in it. And it's the law of God. It's God's view of the way things are. It's not negotiable. It's not changeable. It's prescriptive. It's like a compass. It points where you're supposed to go. So when you circle the word law, law, you could draw a little line and write some things like the will of God, the prescriptive will of God. It is perfect. It's infallible. No errors. It's the way God views the world. It's the way he sees it. But his delight, his pleasure, the person who's going to have the big smile blessing is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, God's law, He meditates, here's the key word, day and night. Do you see the words day and night? They're there for a reason. Because you can't just meditate part of the day. You need to meditate throughout the day. Certainly need to meditate at night. But the person who's blessed is somebody who's constantly interfacing throughout the day on the words of God, the prescriptive law of God. Because it's that person that's going to be blessed. It's that person 
that's going to enjoy the unleashed experience of the supernatural, life-changing power of God through the Word of God. Do you ever wonder why you don't change so much? Been a Christian a long time, keep recycling the same patterns of attitude and action? Or you might wonder why somebody you know isn't changing. Here's one thing you can know for sure. The Word of God is less a part of the ingredient of that person's life than it ought to be. Now, there may be sin. There may be obstacles of sinful behavior like anger, which does not work the righteousness of God. But the Bible is the supernatural ingredient that brings transformation. And if you're not changing, I want to suggest to you that according to this, you can change. And critical to that changing is being quick to hear the Word of God and meditate on it. Be slow before you talk or act. Verse 3. Well, let's, let's circle the word meditate. Let's talk meditate for a minute. Let me tell you what meditate isn't. Memorize. But let me tell you what meditate includes. Memory. Memorization. Meditate means, the Hebrew word, means extended contemplation, to think about it. It also has another parallel word, sometimes translated meditate. Psalm 119 uses this one a lot, and that means to mutter or to utter or to speak. I liken it to talk to yourself. There's a good kind of talking to yourself, not the kind that represents somebody that ought to be in a health recovery institution. Or sometimes people talk to themselves on the street. I'm not talking about the kind of talking like that. This is strategic talking. This is thinking it through by verbalizing it. Be like you're playing a game of chess and you're sitting down and your opponent makes a move and you don't say this out loud, but you talk to yourself. If I move this rook there or I move that bishop there, he's probably going to do that. I can't do that. See what I'm doing? I'm talking to myself, trying to think my way through the most important or the move that I want to make that gives me the most likelihood to succeed. The word meditate means to think hard, extended contemplation. It involves burning calories by thinking. It's not just listening to someone's opinion. It's thinking your way through that statement. The person who benefits extended within an extended way thoughtfully reflects on the truth being prescribed. They talk to themselves. Karen and I, yesterday, we, we were trying to figure out how to rearrange the bedroom. So we go up there, and what do you think? We, we talk about that. It goes, nah, that won't work. We go over here. That's that. It's meditation, only it's not biblical meditation. It's decoration meditation. Okay? It's not a game of strategy meditation. It's... Bible meditation that we're talking about. So if you're circling the word meditate, you want to say, I got to think hard and I got to talk my way through this. Here's a good analogy or good uh, um, parallel synonym to it is the word ruminate. Do you know the word ruminate? Ruminate comes from uh, some animals have four chambers in their stomach, like a cow. 
the very first chamber of a four-chambered stomached animal is called the rumen. I grew up in southern New Jersey across the street from a horse farm, and they had cattle. And you would watch the cows. They would munch and swallow, munch and swallow. They didn't chew. The way a cow eats someone or an animal that ruminates, they, they take in the raw material, it goes into the first chamber, and anybody know what they do the rest of the day? They, they chew on the cud after they cough up the raw material. Isn't that a great thought? So they munch and swallow, then they cough it up, and they chew on it. It's called chewing the cud. Okay, And why do they chew on it? To extract all the nourishment from it. That's the way you need to think about Bible meditation. You're ruminating. You Sometimes you'll, some, you'll say, hey, let me ruminate on it or let me chew on it. When you say, let me chew on it, what are you saying? Let me think about it. Let me ponder it. I, I'm not sure I should buy that car. I'm not sure I should take that job. I'm not sure I should whatever. You're going to meditate. You're going to think on it. You're going to chew on it. You're going to take the raw material in and you're going to ponder it. You're going to reflect on it. And the consequence of that, verse 3, is you will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water. This is a promise meant to motivate and encourage, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. So the meditating guy and gal, big blessing. How blessed. Why? Because they avoid the contaminated, toxic influences and opinions of men and worldly men, and instead they find their pleasure in the prescriptive law of God, which governs and guides their life. And when the law of God is the meditation of your life, day and night, you become like a life-driven tree accessing spiritual life, vitality. You're like a tree. That's the metaphor, the simile. Harry Walls, if he's a meditator, is going to be like a tree. What do you know about trees? You run into a tree? Who wins? Tree wins. Trees are stable and strong. Do you see that it says firmly planted? That's deeply rooted. This is a, you're like a tree who's stable even in the storms of life because you're deeply anchored in the soil. Notice what it says in verse 4 the wicked are not so, they're like the chaff which the wind drives away. So they have no anchor, they're just blown. But the godly meditator, is firmly planted and deeply rooted. I like to say stable in this, even in the storms of life. You're anchored, firmly planted. What else are you? Where are you planted firmly? By what? Streams of water. What's that meant to communicate? I don't care if there is a drought of sizable proportion. You have access, that root system to the vital life-giving capacity of that stream. Listen, it's been a hot summer, right? I got some flowers in my flower beds. They're killing it. You know where they are? Near the sprinkler head. 
There's portions of my yard that look like ought to be on better homes and gardens. And there's portions of my yard that are really struggling. Why? They don't have access to the same moisture. This is vitality even in difficulty. This is even in the desert spaces. doesn't matter how dry the environment, how difficult the day. You're like a tree firmly planted by springs of water. You have stability. You have vitality. You have the rich benefit of unfading spiritual life. And guess what else? You have more than you need to survive. Because verse 3 says, that tree planted by the rivers or streams of water yields its fruit in its season. Science tells us that for a tree to bear fruit, it has to have more than it needs to survive. Which means if I'm a meditator, I, only, I not only have leaves that never wither and they're green, which is what the verse goes on to say, it's leaf does not wither, but I have fruit that I can share. I have assets that I can give. I'm not just a survivor. I'm a life giver. Who wants to be married to that person? I want to be married to a life giver. Who wants to be friends with that person? I want to be friends with that person. Some of us have relationships that feel like a black hole. Some of you are a relationship that is a black hole. And what this says is, is that if I'm a Bible meditator, I'm a fruitful in-life giver. And then this bombastic big blessing at the end. And whatever I do, I what? I prosper. Aramaic root, I press through. Whatever the word of God defines or prescribes, if I do it, I achieve it. The idea is prosperity or successful in life. The word prosper means to accomplish what is intended. It means to accomplish the aim, to press through. I could take you through a host of passages that kind of validate the nuance of that word, but I'll give you one, 2 Chronicles 7, 11. Solomon finished the house of the Lord, the king's house, all that came into Solomon's heart to make in the house of the Lord, and in his own house, he prosperously affected. Now, I like that because what came into his heart, he did it, and he did it successfully. Contextually, the word of God coming into your heart will direct and motivate you, and when you do those things, you will succeed at those things. Not frustrated, but successful. Big promise, big promise. All right, seven steps. I'm going to give you seven things to do to make that your reality. It's your three-by-five card. Here's a, here's a process I want to give you. On the back of your card, I want you to write these seven steps. It is a way, not the only way. It is a way to implement getting the Bible in you so the Bible can change you. It's day and night unleashing the unrivaled power, transformational power of the Word of God. First word, number one, first step, preparation. Preparation. Before the day starts, tomorrow, I will end this day with this step. So where is the place you would do this? 
on your bed. What do you do? You read it and then sleep on it. Herbert Benson, cardiologist, Harvard Medical School, is an authority on subconscious thought. Fact, the last conscious thought you have before you sleep will be passed to your subconscious. Whatever you're thinking about, it's gone in there, and you're not going to stop thinking. Your mind is going to keep working, which is why you can have a problem on your mind before you go to sleep, and you can wake up more tired than when you went to sleep because you've been chewing on it all night long. Or you watch that crazy movie or eat that pizza, and you think and dream things because your mind's working. The last conscious thought is passed to your subconscious taking advantage of this reality. Jim Downing, the founder of the Navigators, had a little policy before he pillowed his head with his wife. His word, referring to the Bible, God's word, the last word. Honey, good night. I love you. See you in the morning. And then he would take his Bible and he would read, putting the word of God on his mind before he fell asleep. So you read it and then sleep on it. This is a five-minute exercise, but it's intentional. David said in Psalm 16, verse 7, my mind instructs me in the night. Look at Proverbs chapter 7, just, or chapter 6, rather. Just flip over there. I want to read a statement to you. Proverbs 6, referring to the commandment of the father, the teaching of the mother, which is a... Uh, parallel to the law of God given by parents to their children. The teaching of the mother is the law of God taught to the children, Deuteronomy 6. The commandment of the fathers, the commandments of God translated through the father's exhortation. Verse 21, bind them, these commandments of God through the parents, bind them continually on your heart. It's Proverbs 6, 21. Tie them around your neck. In other words, keep them close to you. Now watch verse 22. When you walk about they will guide you like a compass. Now watch this. When you sleep, they will watch over you. They'll protect you. Some of you have a hard time with nightmares and things you're, you just struggle with. Put the word of God on your head and let it do what a sentry does. Protects you. An armed guard, that's the idea of keep. They'll watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk to you. Benson says the last conscious thought goes into your subconscious and the first thought you have when you wake up will be the thought you left with. That's the idea. When you awake, it will talk to you. So step one, I'm going to say is called preparation. What do you do? Five minutes on your bed at night, open the Bible. You can pick a psalm. You can pick an area of the scripture. If you're working through James, pick one of these verses slow to speak, quick to hear, go through it, say it, and fall asleep with it. Spurgeon used to wake up in the night and write a sermon sometimes because he was thinking about it before he went to bed. I've never had that experience. (laughs) I got to wake up and think about it before I write it. All right, second step, memorization. Thy word have I hid in my heart. Treasure God's word within you. When you meditate, you memorize. Why? You're putting it in your rumen so you can chew on it. You cough it up during the day. 
Memorization. Where do you do it? I would suggest you do it in the, in, in, at the sink or in the shower. Take your three by five card, put it by your sink. That's my verse for the day. It's the one that I read. I'm now written it down on my card. First thing in the morning, I set it by my sink and I'm working on it. I'm not listening to the news. I'm not listening to sports. I'm working on this. I'm getting in the shower and I'm working on it. Memorization, say it five times a day, a few times a day. People say that when you do that, rehearse it, you will get it. Memorization is not only a children's thing. You get that, right? Awana is not, and we don't do Awana. What do we do? Uh, Venture clubs. Do you memorize an adventure clubs? I haven't been to adventure clubs. So memorization doesn't happen or doesn't stop happening, rather, just because you become an adult. The Bible needs to be a regular discipline of Bible memory. Memorize it so you can cough it up and think about it. Step two, memorization. Learn it. So number one, read it and sleep on it. Number two, learn it. I write in my notes here, shower and sink. Some of you are in a commute. Redeem the commute. Redeem it. Memorized. Number three, evaluation. Evaluation. This is what I would call AM devotions. Okay, so first thing in the morning, wherever you do that, at work or whatever, you want to evaluate the verse. You want to study it. Circle the key words. Define the key words. Notice the grammar, how the words relate to each other, and ask yourselves questions like we did today. <clears throat> what does quick mean? Or what does fruitful mean? Bearing fruit. What does the word meditate mean? If this word means this, then this is true. Study it so you know what it says. You can use a commentary. You can use Bible study helps. Put down as much as you can on your card to help you understand what is being said in that verse. Memorize it. So what you would have is a card like this. You have the key words circled or underlined, and then you have writing in between, basically helping you understand that verse. Study it. Evaluate it so that you know what God says because you've reflected on what it says and the implication of what it says. Number four, fourth step. So all of that's in the morning. Well, before I go to bed, when you get up in the morning, You're memorizing it, you're evaluating it, you're studying it. Number four, personalization. Put your name in it and pray it. I have in my notes here, where? At lunch. When most of you pray for the food you're about to eat, when you pray, if you're praying at lunch, you could pray like this. You're the prayer. You volunteer. Hey, I'll pray. You're going to personalize your memorized verse. So you're leading in prayer. You know you're going to pray for the food. Father, thank you for the food that we are about to receive. It'll nourish our body. And God, help me today to be quick to hear the the food of your word that'll strengthen my soul. I want to be thoughtful about what you say so that I can live it today, so that my soul is nourished, not just by the food we're about to eat, but by the soul food that you give through your word, the word of truth. Bless our time together today. In Jesus' name, amen.
Now, all your friends may look at you as a bit weird, but I promise you, if you pray it and you personalize it, it'll etch it. You want to put your name in it. You want to pray it. Personalization. Number five, imagination. People say that if you visualize something, you can remember it. Like if you want to remember my name and you can't, you visualize hairy walls. Not hairy walls, just the walls with hair on them. (laughs) Get the idea? You visualize something, it can help you memorize it, help you remember it. So visualize it. So here's my visualization for the word quick last week, because I did quick to hear last week. So how do I envision that? Well, Karen bought a friend two years ago, a miniature dachshund. My wife, Karen, bought a little dog to be her buddy. And the little dog, dachshunds, and it's the first dachshund we've ever had, they do what they want. (laughs) They're very friendly, very loving, but training is a challenge. My neighbor has chickens. My dachshund loves to bark at those chickens. I can stand at the back door and invite my little dachshund, Happy, to come. Happy's not interested in me. Very frustrating. Got to be slow to anger. Guess what I discovered a few weeks ago? If I offer her food when she comes, she will come. It's fun. Last night, over there barking at the chickens, I said, Karen, watch this. I step out the door. Happy. Boom. Fast as she could quick to hear because of the reward at the end. Lightning bolt, back door, in the door, few little pellets of dog food, and she is a quick-to-hear dachshund. So my visual is Harry being offered the opportunity to receive soul food from the God of heaven, calling my name, and what am I doing? I'm racing for the opportunity. Now listen, you say, that's silly. You know what it does? It plants that truth in my heart. Visualize it. My eyes are continuously on the Lord. Imagine looking up, your eyes focused on heaven. God help me, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Visualize it. Vision this big hand coming down out of heaven and just plucking me out of the net. Imagination, visualization. Some people say, draw it, not just imagine it. Number six, and we're at the end. Got two more. Number six, I call proclamation. Oh, by the way, imagination, I'm doing that on the way home. I'm doing that at a PM coffee break. Sometimes on the back of my cards, I'll draw a picture. In my notes today, it's just happy and her treats. Should be Harry and his treat. Okay? You'll not forget it. Number six, proclamation. This is at dinner. Proclamation is share it. Whatever it is you're learning, share it. Now, no, you don't necessarily know it all. You're just sharing. So at dinner time with my family, it would be, hey, let me tell you what I saw today. Let me tell you what I'm thinking about today. Share it with your family. When you talk it through, you can help kind of get it cemented in your mind. So I want to encourage you to share it, just what you know. Not that you know everything, but this is what I'm learning today. Let me tell you what I saw in this verse today. Hey, you guys, listen to what I'm thinking about this verse today. Or, hey, what do you think about this verse today? 
When James says, be quick to hear, what do you think he means? This is what I'm thinking. What do you think? Constructive conversation. And then finally, number seven, during the evening, application. And this is where we ended last week. We're going to end this week. How does your life change because of the truth you now know? This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, God said, the Lord of the Lord, the captain of the Lord's host to Joshua. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate therein day and night that you may observe to do all that is written therein. So how does my life change? Because of this truth that I've reflected on and meditated on. On the back of your card, there ought to be some things that reflect how Monday changes because of what happened Sunday from what I learned. Now, you cycle through that day and night, and you make that your pattern. The Word of God, because you're quick to hear it, will be guaranteed prosperous to transform you because of it. Make sense? All right, so meditation, quick to hear, slow to speak, meditate, apply that. It is a method. It is not the only method. I'm just trying to encourage you with it. So put that little card, take that with you, and see if God does some great things, and then bear witness to it. Father, thank you for the morning. Thank you for the opportunity to open your word. David the psalmist said, I meditate on your word. It's a deliberate action that we take. Lord, we think about your statutes, your laws. It's not random time, it's intentional time. Help us to be quick to do it. Help us to be disciplined at it. Lord, help us to find the time and the means. There is no other promise in the Bible by way of activity that rewards with this much benefit. Blessing, stability, vitality, fruitful, successful guaranteed. In Jesus' name I pray we would live it, not just learn it. Amen.